But I will tell you that my secret sauce, which is not secret sauce, but it was, it, I felt like it was at the time. Mm -hmm. To your point, we were surrounded by so many quality, physically fit people, classmates, leaders, that I, I think part of my physical journey was I, I know this because I was intentional about it. I sought out the people who were really strong in certain areas and I made them my, my partner in whatever it was so so if if somebody was really really strong cardiovascular and they would go out and they would run long distances i tried to buddy up with them and make them my running partner if somebody was really strong in the weight room i made sure i lifted with that person i didn't lift with the guy that was really or the gal that was really strong at distance running and then there were people who were just kind of on the fringe of the we're going to do this this CrossFit thing where we're going to do as many reps as possible and like do it until it's awful and then keep going. And that was kind of a new concept and I wasn't even comfortable with it, but I remember following some of those people's lead at the time and not, that's not an endorsement for CrossFit by any means, but it was more of that work capacity mindset that you're going to do things as hard and as long as possible. And so the, really the secret for me was finding people who had strengths in those different areas and then trying to tie myself to them because it collectively made me get better in a lot of different areas. Hey everyone, I'm Cal and welcome to the Intentional Leader Podcast. No matter how you are coming to this show, I hope you leave inspired and with some practical tools to help you lead yourself more effectively and to help you have a higher impact as a leader. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's go make it count. Well, hello everyone and welcome to episode 99 of the Intentional Leader Podcast. We are almost at the 100 mark. I hope I'm finding you well. Today, I'm really excited to bring you my conversation with Doug Jones. Doug is one of my West Point classmates and he now serves as managing principal for Cushman and Wakefield's Dallas operation. He leads a team of about 300 industry professionals. After graduating from West Point, where I'm pretty sure Doug was the number one ranked cadet in our class in physical fitness, which is just incredible. Uh, I couldn't, as you'll see on this interview, I couldn't get a straight answer from Doug. He's very humble. But Doug commissioned as an infantry officer after West Point. He graduated from Ranger School, and then he went on to lead at several different levels, both at home and in combat. Doug was awarded multiple Bronze Star medals, including one for Valor that Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld presented to him in 2011. In addition to being the managing principal for Cushman and Wakefield in Dallas, Doug also leads their military and veteran program. As you'll see in this interview, it's really no surprise that Doug has been entrusted with such significant leadership responsibilities at such a young age. His mindset is something that we can all learn from. We dive into how he has dealt with moments of failure and setbacks. We talk about some of his key habits that he uses to stay focused in self-leadership, his top leadership principles. We even dive into uh, social media comparison, and he gives us some great wisdom on how he thinks about you know leadership in those areas. So thanks again for tuning in today. And thank you again to all of you who have rated or reviewed this podcast, especially those who have rated on Apple or Spotify. That really goes a long way to helping us reach new leaders. I appreciate you being here. Without any further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Doug Jones. All right. Doug Jones, welcome to the Intentional Leader Podcast, brother. Hey, Cal. Thanks so much for having me, man. I'm looking forward to this. I'm so pumped to talk to you. I know we've we've talked 
a few times before since we graduated from West Point. And uh, but you've always been someone that I've kind of admired from a distance. And we we've crossed paths a few times. So I'm really excited to to explore some of what I think has led to your success. And I think that's one thing, one word that comes to mind when I think of you is just excellence. You seem like a person of humility, but also just someone who has achieved excellence in a lot of different areas. Uh, but I, I kind of want to start in a, in a maybe <laughs> a place that is a little odd. Uh, I want to ask you about ranger school and land navigation. So tell us about what you learned, what that experience was like, and maybe what you learned from that. Yeah, well, thanks, buddy. And I, I would say the same for you. I've been enjoying watching what you've been doing, especially on the Intentional Leader podcast coming up on 100 episodes like we were talking about last night. It's incredible. And it's I know it's a journey and it's it takes a lot of commitment to do something like this. I actually I went back and I listened to episode one. Oh gosh! Uh, just to give myself a point of reference. I'm sorry for um, that. <laughs> and no, and there was some great stuff in there, man. And um, I was also thinking about just the consistency that it takes to to come up on. I think you're coming up on 100 episodes, mm -hmm. so I just want to encourage you to keep doing it, man, because it's it's a really cool thing to watch from a distance. And I've been I've been admiring and kind of observing what you've been up to. So so keep it up, man. It's really cool. Well, thanks, Doug. Um, that means a lot. Yeah. So uh, Ranger School. Uh, yeah, that's. Why not? Why not start there? Um, so there, you know, Ranger School, um, obviously, for for you and for others that have, have gone through is an incredible training ground. It's a leadership development, um, you know, school of hard knocks in some ways and, and land navigation. I think that's one of the things you wanted to, to dive into. And I think most of the listeners on the line may be familiar with with what land navigation is, but that was an experience at Ranger School um, during some of the initial phases where you're really preparing for um, the next few phases, right? And on an individual basis, you're being tested. And, um, you know, you're basically put out into the woods and told to run around and find specific trees, which um, is, you know, is a task in itself. Um, but it was something that uh, I had never really struggled with um, leading up to that, either, you know, at West Point or in the infantry basic course, the things that you do leading up to ranger school. And so um, kind of the, the the funny story or the, the story that I've reflected on and, and shared a few times, because I, I think there were some neat lessons that came out of it were um, my class uh, that started in January of 09 on the first attempt at ranger school, about half of the class failed, um, which was which was a, a higher number than usual by about, I think, half. And um, we didn't find out until later what some of those contributing factors were. Um, but needless to say, you get a retake the following day. And if you fail for a second time, then you recycle. And the recycle, as you know, it can send you on an unknown path. You can either have to go back and wait for another slot or you can not get a slot and have to go back to your unit kind of having not completed the task. And so Anyway, um, that first day of land navigation, I was one of the ones who actually failed. And um, so I found myself, and sometimes when I share the story, I start with, there I was on a cold, rainy, dark morning <laughs> at 3 a.m. at Fort Benning, Georgia, um, you know, getting ready to, to start the second round of land navigation and a gun goes off, right, to start the, to start the test. And um, so anyway, I, 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 what happened looking back, though, was um, that 
the the ranger instructor had uh, instructors had figured out that the class before us had really started to beat well-worn paths to the points in the woods and um a lot of us kind of being tired and, and wanting to take shortcuts as we would approach the points you know 50 to 100 yards away we just started following the paths on the ground that we saw and we would arrive at the at what we thought was going to be the point and there was nothing there and it and it it ended up throwing a large number of the class off because the ranger instructor had instructors had moved the points um and so obviously we didn't know that going into day two um but nonetheless we started and as you know you have to go and you have to find a certain number of points not all the points but i think it was five out of seven or maybe six out of eight in five hours and so took off and about 75 minutes left i realized that i was in trouble i'd only found three of the points that I needed and I had three points left and I had less than a, I had about an hour and some change to get back to the starting line. And at, for the first time in my life, Cal, I really felt like I was going to fail at something. Mm -hmm. um, I had obviously experienced a lot of challenges and, and things like that in sports and other things, but it really was one of those moments. And I think that's why it's ingrained in me pretty deeply that I remember walking back and thinking to myself, well, you know, I, you know my friends are going to make fun of me. My, my girlfriend is probably going to break up with me. My parents are going to disown me like this is this is what failure looks and feels like and i don't know what's next because i don't have time to get the three remaining points that i need um, and so i just kind of put my head down and started walking back and um maybe by divine intervention or whatever i looked over to the left and i saw a small flash of orange kind of in the wood line and i my competitive nature kind of kicked in and i ran towards this spot and i found a point and it, I got to the tree and I looked at the point and it, it was not my point, but as you know, the land navigation courses are self-correcting. So it tells you where you are on the map. And so I kind of got a new lease on life and I said, Hey, look, if I can, <laughs> if I can follow the basics and I know exactly where I am, I'm close to one of the next points. If I can get that point, then I've got a chance. And so I went back to the basic dead reckoning and I checked my compass and my map every my, you know, your pace count tells you you got to check a certain number of steps out. I, I cut that in half and I checked, you know, every 15 steps up until I got that point. Anyway, fast forward, I ended up finding the rest of the points and getting back just in time. And I and I was able to proceed with the rest of Ranger School. And um I think that that experience, though, it taught me a few things. And, and looking back on it, I've reflected because I think there are some things that I've drawn out of it um, and that that moment of failure. But then the some of the fundamentals that come with how you keep going. And the first one was, you know, um, hey, look, trust your map and your compass, hmm. not necessarily the path that's been worn before you by somebody else. Right. Hmm. And I kind of think of that as, as you know, your map and your compass are the values and the principles that stay true, right? Um, and those are the things that, and kind of like that dead reckoning that I did, staying really close and checking back in with it very frequently, as opposed to going long distances, right? Which can have consequences over a period of time. I checked in regularly with those, with those instruments that were true, the map and the compass, and that's I think that's a takeaway that I took from that is you got to check in with those things that are that are values and principles that, you know, stay the same. Right. It's not somebody else's path that they that they blazed ahead of you. 
the second thing that I took away um, was that, you know, life in a lot of ways is a self-correcting course, meaning mm. you might feel lost. You might not know where you're at, but if you can find a mentor or you can find, you know, someone or something that, that centers you back to telling you where you are, um, it can really orient you quickly back to a place where you, you know where you are and then you move to the point you may be trying to get to, even though it's not your point, right? You yeah. can orient back to where you are. Um, and then the last thing, the last thing that that story kind of taught me was it's not even about land nav, right? <laughs> like the land navigation, as you know, that's a, that's a precursor towards leading a patrol with a small unit later on, right? And that is even a precursor towards ultimately a deployment and combat where you have to put all those skills into, into action. And so I think for me that the last takeaway I took from that is remembering why you're doing something right. Mm. Um, and anchoring back to that. It's not even about the particular thing you're doing. In a lot of cases, it's about what you're preparing for next. You know what I mean? So those three things, I know that that's a little bit of a long story, but that has been a, a foundational experience for me that I've used to try to anchor back to some of those, some of those lessons. Those are great lessons. Well, thanks for sharing that story. I, I think it's a, a really good example. And the way you tell it is is so compelling. I, I I could even just feel in my own experience as you were telling that story, that feeling in, in land up because it's it's isolating. You're you're not out there with anyone. I mean, you're you're out there with other people, but they're trying to get their own points. And when you have that feeling, and I've I've had that feeling before too, of I'm just I'm gonna fail. I I can't find this point or the points I need. And I just might as well walk back. And it's a really, uh, it's a tough, a tough feeling, but I love those lessons that you you pulled from it. I think it's so, uh, it's so relevant to all the leaders listening. And I think you can right there. I mean, that's enough to, we'll just call it <laughs> those, those three lessons. I think if, if that's all you can take away from this episode, I mean, that's, those are great lessons. I was even thinking, uh, as you were telling us, as you were sharing, I think the second point, um, of, of your or second lesson, I was thinking about the last few weeks of my life. It's just been a, it's just been a busy season the last two, two weeks. And some of those daily habits that I rely on for me, it's getting up a little bit early to, to pray and to read, um, some, some of those other habits that I've just working out, um, silence and solitude. I started to, uh, for some reason I started to think to myself, what's the point, Cal? Like, stop. You don't have time for that. And then I talked to a friend and he was just, he just offered a little bit of encouragement. And immediately I, I kind of got back on my path and I was like, okay, this, there is, this is where I need to be. These are my principles. These are my habits that I'm, that I'm focused on. Um, so it made me think of that as you were sharing that it's, it's easy to get disoriented or feel lost or even question, why am I even on this path? but community can bring us back and yeah. to those kind of, to our map and compass. So thanks for sharing that, Doug. I, I think that's a, a great place to start and uh, an example of, of humility for you. I mean, that you, you were, as you mentioned, you were very used to succeeding. Uh, and I want to talk about that next. Uh, so there's a there, legend as far as our class, we were in the same class at West Point, class of 2008, is that you were ranked number one in our class physically. And so for, for those that aren't familiar with how West Point works, there's three categories that you're ranked on, you're measured. There's the military category, which is your leadership. There's your academics. And then there's your physical ranking, which is a big deal. I mean, we have to take 
an assessment, a physical assessment every six months. And that's really competitive. And then there's all these classes we have to take. Like, I don't know if you remember Doug, like gymnastics, boxing, swimming, like combat swimming. I can't remember what all we have to take the indoor obstacle course, Doug, I'm sure you remember that of just the, in the, and what was the name of the gym there? I can't even remember the name, but, um, it, it had like, gym, I think it had as, what is it? Asbestos and it was the yeah, legend. Arvin, Arvin gym. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, is that true? Were you in fact, number one physically in our class? I think we need to check our facts, buddy. I don't know about that. I don't, <laughs> come I, on, I don't come think, on. I don't think it was number one. Um, but I do, I do remember, um, spending a lot of time in the physical arena trying to make up for my academic and military performances, <laughs> I think was what I was trying to do, especially on the academic side. No, but um, yeah, I, I played soccer um, and that was a great foundational base for me from a physical fitness perspective. Um, and so that was that was something that I did uh, spend a lot of time and, and took a lot of pride in, in trying to continue to, to continue to improve. And as you know, you know, the military is not, it's not unique in this, but it is, it is, um, well, maybe it is unique in this and that there's a, there's a, a leadership currency. If, if we're defining leadership, maybe as influence kind of using the mm-hmm. Maxwell kind of definition there, um, where your physical abilities carry a lot of kind of, they carry, they carry weight. And that's why the Academy places uh, emphasis on that because it does tie into your ability to to perform, um, you know, in, in tough situations. And so, yes, that was a very important part of, uh, of my, my cadet life. Uh, and it, it continued in the army, it continues today, but I don't know that the number one, uh, <laughs> is true, uh, but, but I, I think I was near the top. Okay. We'll have to, we'll have to subpoena the records. We'll have to, we'll have to go yeah. do some digging here. Um, but I know that you were really, really high. I know this, uh, based on a lot of, uh, conversations among our class because it, it stands out and, and there's a reason that if you are number one physically and this was out of a class of a thousand cadets who are all relatively physically fit and a lot are really physically fit so to be even in the top 10 is really impressive um, and that's where I kind of started this with just that kind of margin of excellence that that there's a mm-hmm. there's people who succeed and then there's people who just really push the envelope of excellence in a particular area. And so whenever I see that, I always want to kind of dive into it a little bit and try to try our best to, to dissect and unpack what leads to that. Now, obviously there's a lot of natural ability that can, that's inherent in that, especially when we're talking about physical fitness and there's some of us just genetically can't ever get to a certain level, but I think there's a lot of, of that goes into it in terms of habits and routine and mindset. Um, and so let's, let's just unpack it a little bit. So what, even thinking back to, and this can, we can talk about back then at West Point or even now, what were some, were, were you someone who was really strict with physical fit in terms of your diet, sleep, workouts? Like, what did that look like? How did you think about that either then or even now? Yeah. So I, I think for me, it, it kind of goes back to people that had, that influenced, uh, that influenced me in life coaches and, and, other mentors at a young age. And so I had a, I had a coach, a soccer coach early on say something to the effect of Doug, there, there's two kinds of, of players. There's piano players and there's piano carriers. Hmm. You're a piano carrier, not a piano player. So don't try to be a piano player, right? Be a piano carrier. Cause that's what you are. 
And at a very young age, I started to identify with that and to say, I may not be the most technically skilled player on the field, but I can control my effort and I can control my attitude. And so I'm going to be known for being a workhorse or, or a piano carrier, uh, to use his words. And so I, I kind of developed that a little bit at a young age. Um, and then going into the academy, I remember having some great NCOs, non-commissioned officers and, and officers uh, who at the time, as you know, had combat experience. And for the listeners, many that know, but some that don't, our physical fitness tests um, have a standard scale. But then at West Point, they they have to, of course, create the extended scale, right, where they add on some extra points. If you if you take what would be maxing and then you and then you do the extended amount, right, they, they have they just have to, to dangle that carrot. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember one of I think it was the non-commissioned officers who had spent time on deployment saying, look, combat is a cruel teacher. It from a physical perspective, um, it will give you the test and then teach you the lesson. Mm -hmm. And so being physically fit to a, to try to get to a number is not what you should be trying to do. You should be trying to be as fit as possible, right? As, as fit as you can be. And that is the only standard that will really get you ready for what is to come when you graduate from the academy and go on to combat. So um, those things were pretty informative for my physical approach. But I will tell you that my secret sauce, which is not secret sauce, but it was it, I felt like it was at the time. Mm -hmm. To your point, we were surrounded by so many quality, physically fit people, classmates, leaders that I I think part of my physical journey was I, I know this because I was intentional about it. I sought out the people who were really strong in certain areas and I made them my, my partner mm -hmm. in whatever it was. So, so if, if somebody was really, really strong cardiovascular and they would go out and they would run long distances, I tried to buddy up with them and make them my running partner. If somebody was really strong in the weight room, I made sure I lifted with that person. I didn't lift with the guy that was really, or the gal that was really strong at distance running. And then there were people who were just kind of on the fringe of the, we're going to do this, this CrossFit thing where we're going to do as many reps as possible and like do it until it's awful and then keep going. And that was kind of a new concept and I wasn't even comfortable with it, but I remember following some of those people's lead at the time and not, that's not an endorsement for CrossFit by any means, but it was more of that work capacity mindset that you're going to do things as hard and as long as possible. And so the, really the secret for me was finding people who had strengths in those different areas and then trying to tie myself to them because it collectively made me get better in a lot of different areas. That's really insightful. Did you come to that on your own? Like just that general idea of taking the strengths of people and really trying to to hone in on that and say, Hey, I'm going to, Doug's really good at running. So I'm going to help him teach me to run. But then, you know, Jim over here is really strong. So I'm going to go yeah. versus, cause I think a lot of us fall into the mindset of, I need to find one person who's just really good at everything. And that's the, that's the person I'm going to learn for, or that that person can teach me everything because I, I, there's a lot of things I want to talk about this, this idea, but I'm just curious, where did it come from for you? Where did you, how did you arrive at that mindset? Yeah, I think, I think it probably, no, I didn't come up with it on my own by any means. I think, you know, it's something that's, it's, it's a, 
principle that many of us know or have heard, right? Seeking out people who are the best in class at what they do and trying to learn from them um, to apply to your own skill set. I think it probably was born mostly out of our freshman year where you just realize how mm-hmm. many areas you have to improve in and you're broken <laughs> down to you're broken down to a pretty um, a pretty base level and you find yourself surrounded by people who are in a lot of ways leading you or they're they're doing things that you realize where you fall short and so I don't think it I don't think I came up with it on my own but I think it was born out of more of a a realization and an understanding that in order to be successful in in that particular domain right we're talking about the domain of physical fitness but it certainly applied academically and militarily like I as many of us do you know the cooperate and graduate mantra um, is something that my dad talked about a lot. He was a grad. And so he used to, he used to, you know, talk about the cooperate and graduate mindset. And and I think that was where the idea was originally formed. But then as a freshman, you realize how much you're going to need that principle. Mm-hmm. And so I just started to apply it in a few different domains and physical fitness was one of them. Yeah. I love it. Cause I'll be honest, Doug, I, I don't think, I think that's a concept that I am just more recently appreciating because Mm. here's where where I'll fall into it is I'll, you'll find someone, let's say who's really physically fit, but they're a lousy family man. Right. Mm. So, so it's easy to just be like, I can learn nothing from that person. But I think when you adopt this kind of more nuanced approach, you, you can learn that, you know, we all have certain giftings and we can have mentors who are really effective and, and great at teaching us a particular skill or a particular area of competence, but they're not, maybe the person will lean to for other areas. And and sure. that, that's just, to be honest, that's just not a mindset I've had. I've kind of been looking and trying to find those people who can just teach everything to me. And there, there are certainly people that can teach uh, more than just one area. But I, now that I'm starting to realize that, I think it's really liberated me. Um, and, and I think it's, I'm, I'm starting to kind of seek people out like, Hey, I see that you're really good at real estate. I want to learn a little bit about real estate. Can you teach me about that? And Hey, you're really good at, you know, weightlifting, teach me about that. Or, Hey, you're really great with your faith. I want to learn more about, you know, I want to really grow in my faith. Teach me about that. Or, Hey, you're a really awesome father. I want to be a better father. So th- then you can end up having all these little mini mentors, but you're not necessarily looking for one person in particular to teach you everything. And that's, that's honestly, it's kind of a newer concept for me. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, it's a really powerful thing. Um, And I think, and we may talk about this a little bit more later, but you know, we comparing ourselves to people to find that, um, that meaning or that definition of success or like all the things we're talking about, right. It's, it's a, it's a, I think it's an incomplete concept, like comparing and contrasting ourselves is something I think that we could potentially talk about, Um, you know, contrasting yourself to someone else who has different skill sets is, is good, right? Like we, we should be contrasting our skill sets to other people's to try to learn from those. Um, But I think a lot of times we, you hear it, we say, I don't fall into the trap of comparing yourself to others, right? Like that, that is true, but, but you should learn from other people and maybe contrasting, extracting the differences between you and someone else is the the healthy thing to do. And then on the comparing side, we should be comparing ourselves to who we were yesterday and, and, and thinking about who we want to be 
tomorrow. And that comparison, right, looking at things that are similar, me or you or the leader listening to the podcast over time, you're, you're a community of people over time, right? You should be comparing yourself to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the contrasting piece with other people is where I find I can I can take those elements of their strengths. I can compare the the strengths, the weaknesses, which we all have, my, both, both of us and certainly everyone listening knows we have weaknesses, but we can contrast those against the strengths of others. And I think it's a healthy way to think about how to extract those lessons and those strengths from others to try to help us build our own competencies. Can we pull on this thread for a little bit? How do you think about that now in terms of comparing and contrasting? Because now you're in, you're no longer in the army. Now you're right. in a leadership role at a large commercial real estate firm. Tell us a little bit about that too. But just how do you think about that now? This idea of comparing and contrasting, and because I think comparison is something that is, uh, it's very relevant, especially today in a world of instagram and tiktok and just we're so aware we're so much more aware of what other people are doing and i think we're it's it's easy for comparison when people hear that it's it can be really be a negative thing for for a lot of people's image self-esteem just going back to your your compass and map example it's sometimes hard to even know what is my compass and map because i'm just so aware of what everyone else is doing so how do i even know what my path ought to be. Um, so I'd be interested to know, like in this, in your current role and tell us just a little bit about that, uh, or in just, you know, your current life, how do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, sorry. Pulling on a I know that's a lot. Talking about a topic. <laughs> no, no. Talking about a topic, right. That is, um, and I'll do my best to try to weave in maybe some thoughts on that and then transitioning into my current work here at Cushman and Wakefield. Um, but Look, when we were in the military or when I was in the military, I should say I social media and technology and what it is today, it just it just wasn't um, it wasn't as prevalent. And honestly, I was not I wasn't familiar with it. I wasn't around it. Um, now, it certainly has, has become more prevalent. It's more part of what my my family and my kids you know, are being increasingly exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will tell you from a, from a social media perspective. And I think that every listener that dials in or that listens to this and we're all impacted by it in some way, shape or form, but, you know, we have to be really careful and really intentional about what we put into our brain, into our minds, you know, our phones and our technology as powerful as they are. They also are weapons of mass distraction in a lot of ways, as, as I know many have heard. And there's a, there's a real danger. And I think the risk and the danger um, is probably outweighs the benefits of, you know, being up to speed on what is the latest news headline probably is something I would choose to, to, to miss in exchange for some of the other things that might come along with it. So, so I really, I choose uh, outside of LinkedIn. I don't have any other social media um, and I don't really do a lot of intentional digging into the news just because the news is so negative and I need to be up on the industry and I need to stay aware of current things that are going on. But, um, but the news can really bring a negative impact into your mindset, especially if you start out that way uh, in the start of your day. So on the comparison and contrasting, again, I think I just go back to 
I've, I've been introduced to the idea and I've really started to study more this idea of comparing yourself over, o- over time as a community of people, right? You are a community of people over time. And so Cal, uh, as a freshman at West Point, mm. and then as a second lieutenant, and then as a captain, and then as a major, and then as a husband and a father over time, uh, I think is a healthy way to compare where you've been, where you are today, and where you'd like to go. And then when I go externally, especially uh, in in the the environment that I'm in today, in the private sector, in, in corporate America. The comparison monster will try to get its arms wrapped around you because there's always someone who is seemingly right. And it depends on how you define success, right? Like mm-hmm. we should, I'm a, I'm kind of a definitions guy. I like, it's helpful for me to define things because, yeah. and it's not an end all be all definition, but it does help me anchor back to a way of thinking about what are usually vague concepts like success, right? Mm-hmm. So the Earl Nightingale kind of definition of success, right? It's the progressive realization of a worthy ideal, or it's mm-hmm. another version of that is success is you becoming a better version of yourself, right? And the moment you start working on that, you are a success because you're looking up at something and you're working towards that. And it's a mm-hmm. it's a cool concept because it's an infinite game and you don't <laughs> you can you can slip and you can move forward and you can go left and you can go right, but you're but you're working towards that progressive realization, right, of whatever your worthy ideal is. So success, depending on how you define it, uh, can be an interesting thing to talk about. Comparison in the real world um, for people down the hall or the people that, you know, have a certain title or, you know, getting a promotion or recognition like that is a that's a that's a thing that gets all of us. It grips all of us. So that's why I try to think more about, okay, how do I contrast what I'm doing Right. In the definition of success that I've chosen to to operate with and how do I pull from some of their strengths? And then in my role today, as um, you know, we our term for it at Cushman and Wakefield, we're a global commercial real estate services firm um, is managing principles. So the managing principles in the markets are kind of responsible for everything that the, the market does or fails to do. And it's it's my one of my primary roles to help contrast, um, you know, not only where people's strengths and weaknesses are, but to try to encourage them to reach their full potential and to maximize their abilities and to encourage them. And, and hopefully in some cases, you know, help inspire them to try to achieve their best version of themselves. So that's a long answer. And I don't know where uh, I stuck the pin on that, but it, it tried to transition us a little bit yeah. into the civilian world and Cushman and Wakefield and, and the private sector. Well, listeners, pay attention to just how easily Doug was able to answer that question. And just I, I think the way you think about your inputs is really something we should pay attention to the social media. I'm I'm finding that more and more people who are healthy and who are really focused and able to accomplish a lot, not just accomplish a lot of random things, but are are really focused and achieving success, their definition of success, mm-hmm. are spending way less and less or are spending less and less time on social media are finding that that is, <laughs> I love, as you you said, a, a weapon of, of mass distraction and, and news intake. I've done that myself and I've kind of gone back and forth. And, and more recently, I finally just said, I'm, 
I'm getting off Facebook. I'm getting off Instagram. I'm only on LinkedIn and I rarely check that. And, I, and I'm not saying that's the answer for everyone. I just think that we have to be mindful of what that's doing to our, our minds and our attention. So I, I just, it, it, we didn't, we didn't tee that up. That wasn't part of what was going to be our, our, uh, our discussion, Doug, but I, I'm, I just want to note that before, before we move on. Um, and then just this idea of, of comparing ourselves to a, a community of, of us, really, I think that's something I haven't heard, but I think that's insightful. And I like to think of, uh, you know, think of who I'm becoming, who am I going to be yep. in 10 years? Uh, not so much as a goal, but just on more as a formation, who am I forming into? Am I becoming more patient? Am I becoming more healthy? Am I becoming a, a better, more loving leader who cares? Am I, am I learning? Am I growing? And so I like the way you put that. Tell us a little bit. Uh, well, so it tie, hold on. So Cal, yeah. it, ties back in, it ties back into one of the things I've, I've heard you talk about before, which is, you know, and part of the reason why you do this, this podcast is because um, life is short. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, you, I think I've heard you say before, we're going to, we're going to get to the end of that road at some point. And, there's there's some you know there's some systems of belief that think that you're gonna you're gonna kind of be you're gonna see what that highest and best version of you uh, might have looked like and it's a it's a noble thing to want to strive to have what you ended up becoming and what you could have become being as close as possible right I think that ties back to part of the bedrock of why you do this um, so I think that's really important I've heard you talk about that before and it's been a great great reminder for me um and so anyway it's a again back to what you're accomplishing on this um i think is really fundamental for a lot of people well thanks doug yeah i i was um there's a psalm psalm 90 where uh it's the psalm of david and he's and he says something to the effect of uh, teach me to appreciate the shortness of life so that i may gain wisdom and I love that wording to your idea of let's let's really pay attention to precise definitions of words and, and how they fit. But just the idea that thinking about the shortness of life would give us wisdom, I, I think that that resonates with me. That makes sense to me when I think about, you know, what do I ultimately want to achieve? What do I want my life to look like towards the end of my life? It helps me be more intentional, be more mindful about what am I doing with my time now? Because what we're doing today, those habits, those routines, what we put in front of us, it's forming us in some way. Some Sometimes it's for the for the better and sometimes for the worse. Um, but I think just paying attention to that is uh, is important to me. And I think it's it seems to be more and more important to, to people who are really at peace with where they're going and where they are now. Uh, no, they're not satisfied. It's not that they're not trying to grow, but they're um, heading in a certain direction with a map and compass uh, of their yeah, own. Absolutely. How how many people do fall under you in your in your role at, at Cushman and Wakefield? We've got uh, about 300 folks that are in the Dallas Fort Worth market. Wow. Um, so so as a commercial real estate services firm, we have several different services. Um, we don't own or develop any commercial real estate, but we provide services. Um, and so the 300 folks that fall uh, into the Dallas market, which is the Dallas Fort Worth market, I should say, uh, which is one of our one of our larger and and um, more important markets, is part of a you know a much broader team of teams uh, that sits globally across um, you know a lot of 
countries, 55,000 employees. So the Dallas Fort Worth market is, um, it's been an incredible honor for the last two years to, to help lead our teams here and to, to try to be as, as much of a servant leader as possible, transitioning out of the business. So when I first started at Cushman and Wakefield, um, I was in more of an individual contributor role mm-hmm. doing commercial real estate brokerage. Um, and then about two years ago, um, was asked to, to move into this role. So um, 300 folks across all service lines and business units, um, about 150 are in the office. Uh, and then another 150 are out in the field at our facilities and with clients day to day. So, yeah, it's a it's an incredible industry. Um, and if there's anybody listening that's interested in commercial real estate, I, I would love to talk about that. <laughs> um, and I also I'm really fortunate. Um, Cushman and Wakefield's been, you know, I've had people ask me, how did you end up at Cushman and Wakefield? What did that look like? I really feel like I was fortunate um, to, to get an opportunity. I didn't have any connections or ties in commercial real estate after getting out of the Army. Um, I just was was fortunate to get an introduction that then led to some conversations and a lot of networking. Um, I feel like Cushman and Wakefield picked me, right? They gave me an opportunity. Um, and I'm really, I've really enjoyed the time here. And we also have a national military and veteran program, um, or I should say military and veteran programs that I'm uh, responsible for, for stewarding and, and shepherding and leading. And so that's, it. it's an incredible intersection of my former life and passion around service um, in the military, but also tying into our business and commercial real estate. Wow. That's a lot. That, it's really, and kind of to add to the legend, I remember when you, uh, I think were, were promoted a few years ago, just talking to some other classmates, we're like, man, look at Doug. Like he is, that was really fast. Like at least from the <laughs> outside looking in, it's like, man, he is that's a really big leadership role. So, I mean, not surprising when, when you kind of when we peel back and get into your mindset a little bit of just how you think and how you are focused and the way you lead yourself, it doesn't surprise me that you would continue to achieve excellence, but that's objectively uh, really, really impressive. Uh, I'd love to know, let's kind of dig into a little bit of organizational leadership. What what are some of your kind of guiding leadership principles as you lead at, in this you know, 300 folks that fall under you? Um, how do you think about what are some of kind of your top leadership principles that guide you? Yeah. Um, so this is, this is a great question and actually caused me to reflect a little bit. Um, it's maybe I'll, I'll try to simplify it as much as I can. It's kind of like my, I only have two problems when I go and play golf, which I don't play golf a lot, but <laughs> distance and direction, like those are the only two problems I have. Only two problems. Get you those know, right. You're good. Why I don't ever play uh, <laughs> because I, I love spending time with the family, but it is distance and direction, man. No, um, <laughs> I think the principles that I really tried to lean back on two principles is number one, set the example. If you, if you expect something or you want to see something manifest itself in your organization, then you have to try to set the example. Um, and that was a that was a leadership principle that started uh, in college and carried through sports and carried through the Army. And I've certainly continued that as a bedrock of how I try to approach leadership. Um, I think the second principle that really is a function of my mom, who is a great mentor, servant uh, in her own right, a woman of faith, and just has always been a bedrock for me, she, she says something that 
I've quoted a few times when people ask like, what's a great piece of advice you've gotten. And I don't think I always do a great job of explaining it, but she, she says something to the effect of all the, all the pieces of the board game are going back in the box. Hmm. Okay. And so what that means as a leadership principle for me, it's, it's really a statement about perspective and kind of eternal legacy or significance. What are you, what are you, what are you doing? Cause the pieces of the game mm. go back in the box, mm. right? For everybody. Yeah. And so between between setting the example and then keeping that perspective, because what I've found, especially after getting out of the army, um, which has been really interesting, like I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. Setting the example as a leader is oftentimes not enough. Like you're it just you can you can do the best you can to try to set the example. And it's still a human endeavor and your influence is limited. And so you are going to have to come to grips with the reality that (laughs) setting the example is not enough. Mm -hmm. Right. So then it's been helpful for me, that second principle of it's all going back in the box, which is the second way. The the thing that my mom kind of says often, which is that idea that the pieces of the game are going to be put back, put away. And we're we're all going to have to, you know, come to our end and that and how you play the game and keeping that perspective is really important. So that has actually kind of buoyed me and anchored me back to a really nice balance of perspective, set the example, but remember in the long run, um, the game we're playing of life is it's really important and keeping the perspective that, you know, investing in people, spending time with your family, making, trying to make a difference in helping people like that's, that's the thing that matters when, when the game ends and when all the pieces go back in the box. So those are a couple of things that come to mind from a leadership perspective, maybe uh, not uh, exactly kind of off the shelf, but really personal to me and that I, they, those things bounce around in my head a lot. So. That's so good. Uh, I think that that's kind of where I come back to a little bit too especially the the first one there of just just setting the example because it's there's a lot of leadership material out there and it's easy to just kind of move past those basics that are just mm. so fundamental of set the example and that's really hard to do yeah uh, it's really especially as you rise in leadership it's a lot easier to start to think well you know i've i've made it man i don't need to do the things that got me here uh, people aren't really paying attention or they'll, or just based on my position, people are going to do what I ask them to do. And that's just, that's just not good leadership. And then that second principle yeah. is a great, makes a lot of sense that those two go hand in hand to keep perspective and to remind yourself that, it, like you said, there's only so much control that we have. Uh, what is setting the example look like for you now in your role? What are some things that come to mind when you think about that? Yeah. And I would, and I'll answer that. I think one of the things that's important for the listeners, if they're looking for a way to think about their leadership style and it's, you know, I think, I know you're familiar with it because you're a reader, but Pat Lencioni's book, The Motive is an anchor for kind of this fundamental concept of why are you aspiring to be in a leader, in a positional leadership role? Look, everyone in an organization to some degree is a leader because you have influence over yourself or over your team. And so there's but that principle of like, what's the motive for why you're trying to do what you're doing is really important. And I would I would encourage listeners if they're looking for a piece to kind of 
Yeah. I, I double click into that file and go check that out. Anything Lencioni is going to be good on organizational leadership, but that piece on motivation for um, leadership is really critical. Um, so look, for me, setting the example, uh, I, I think in some ways it's trying to be um, an integrated person, both at home and at work. You, you, there's the idea that you should be bifurcating or trifurcating who you are um, is is a pretty dangerous concept. It's not sustainable and it's not congruent with kind of the holistic, the holistic approach towards becoming a better version of yourself. Um, so I try to set an example in, in integrating who I am both inside the organization and outside the organization. Um, you know, and that, and that takes a lot of different shapes and, and sizes and forms, you know, balance in life is something that I got asked about the other day. Uh, with a couple of other leaders talking about how do you find balance? And I was, and I, and a couple of people had great answers. And then I was like, I don't think I've figured it out yet. Right. I'm not really sure how to get to the balance equation, but I do know I have an incredible wife. I've got a family that I love spending time with. and I've got an incredible team that I love spending time with and working on problems. So trying to integrate, mm-hmm. setting an example around integrating and being consistent and not yes. being different in different settings that's hard to do. Yeah. Um, and that's one area where I'm really convicted. Like, do I lead my kids? Do I put as much effort into leading my kids as I do into the thought and and, and effort that I put into leading the teams? Yeah. Right. Like that, that'll convict you yeah. real fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's a, it's a process, but that I think in one instance is a way where I'm trying to set the example, because then I think if, if you're able to ex- at least, in some ways be vulnerable that you're not there, but you're trying to do that. Then other people feel like they can try to integrate their personal and their professional lives. And then from there, you, you can, it starts to open up a lot of conversations in ways that you can grow together as a team. Yeah. I, I I love that. And I, I think it just highlights, it's a lot easier when you're the same at work at home. You're not, it's not like a different person shows up and obviously we're all, you know, (laughs) There's certain shades and stuff, but I love that idea of just being integrated. And um, and I don't know that we ever balance. You know, I've heard many people say that balance is not a helpful word. It's not it's not precise in terms of how mm-hmm. our family and work life works together because it does. It is an integration there. Um, and I kind of come back to and I'm with you, Doug. I haven't figured that out by any means, but I am certainly moving in a direction of where just being present and being fully present where I'm mm-hmm. at and just giving that in my integrated self to the people in front of me is, is a, is, is a form of success. Um, time that the amount of time is always a struggle. Um, but at least if I'm present and fu- fully present mentally and physically and giving my, my best self in that moment, I think that's, um, I'm heading in the right direction. Um, what do you tell us a little bit more about the the second principle and how that plays itself out? Just the, the, all the pieces are going back in the box that, that perspective, what does that look like in, in your kind of day-to-day week-to-week leadership? And yeah. how, how, how does that maybe affect the way you lead in your, in your role? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, and we've we've talked about this. Some, um, you know, we're we're both men of faith, and I think my my upbringing, my family, and the way I approached kind of my purpose in life, you know, ties back to that. Um, you know, I I have a pretty simple mission statement to to try to love and serve God and people as much as possible 
uh, and leave a legacy of significance. And that, and that, I think, goes back to the perspective of life is tough and everyone in this organization, which has been something that I've been reattuned to over the last couple of years in this role, has things going on in their lives that is difficult. We all, every, no, no one, regardless, go back to the social media thing, no one is immune to the difficulties of life. And so what we choose to do as our vocation um, is going to put us in intimate spaces with people and there's only, you know, there's only a couple of things that are eternal. One of them being, you know, people uh, and their, their, their souls and their spirits. And so we, as leaders, have an opportunity to come up close and, and get personal with people. And that, again, I think, you know, when the market is going to do what it does and the, you know, business is going to do what it does and clients and teammates, they're going to do what they do. And again, control is a very slippery word. Like we have to be very careful with that. We have no control over anything other than what we decide to consume and how we decide to to conduct ourselves uh, with other people. Everything else is influence. And the further out it goes, it's diminishing influence, right? So, so like if we want to talk about where we should focus our time, and I think that's one takeaway I would just encourage young leaders, all leaders to do is just to re-anchor to that principle of you don't have to you don't have to spend a proportionate amount of time on yourself as you do at work. You will never be able to do that, but you better be spending time on yourself daily, weekly, monthly, annually in some form or fashion, because the better you are as a person, right, the better you can lead or the better you can influence, the more you can grow your influence and hopefully help other people. And so um, that second principle of it's all going back in the box it kind of just anchors you back to when things get tough. Like my buddy and I that I deployed to Afghanistan with, and I used to say when we got, um, when we got back, um, easy day, which was just an, e it was a, it was a mantra we had between each other where it was like, look, there's going to be things that are going to happen today, but if, if no one's getting hurt or killed and there's not, you know, some serious life altering things happening, easy day. Right. And so it, it kind of goes back to that a little bit, but it also goes into the just eternal perspective. What's our witness? How are we conducting ourselves with people? That is to me, it's it's the balance between you do your part, you try to set the example, but the, at the end of the day, if you're if you're anchoring back to that eternal significance or that 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 influence that ultimately results in other people accomplishing what they're aspiring to accomplish, then when the pieces go back in the box you can rest easy. It makes me think of, I had a, there's an author that uh, I listened to a lot and uh, he talks about how we're a mixed bag of desires and how often our strongest desire is not our deepest desire. And so mm -hmm. it made, that's what I think of when you talk about it's all going back in the box. Cause as leaders, we're faced with that every single day where in a particular moment, our strongest desire may be to just get upset with someone and tell someone, tell someone off or, uh, or maybe not do something that we were just tired. I don't want to go have that tough conversation. I don't want to get up and I don't want to work out. I want I don't want to eat healthy. Uh, I don't want to read like those, it may not be our strongest desire in that moment, but it's our 
deepest desire. And so the more we can choose yeah. that, that deeper desire time and time again, as leaders over time, we, we have ultimately the, the kind of legacy in life that we really deeply want that just may not be present in that, in that particular moment. Um, I haven't, I haven't heard it explained like that, but that's a good word that our strongest desire is not always our deepest desire. Is that? Yeah. 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 And um, I, I like what you said too, Doug, about just taking the time as leaders to invest in ourselves. And it's hard to do. And, and it's going back to your first story about land nav. It's easy to to forget how important that is. It's like any habit that you, if you neglect it, you don't see the results immediately. But then if you do it long enough, you start to see like, man, why am I, why am I don't yeah. have, why do I not have clarity about life and what's important? And um, so I'd be interested as we're wrapping up here, what, what are either one or two, what are some things that you do to invest in your, in your, in your leadership on a consistent basis? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great topic and it's a topic you can't, uh, as far as habits and, and things that are foundational, I think, um, I'll start with the principle. One of the principles is that I try to remember and live by is that we're ultimately going to become what we think about. Um, our, our, our mindset is so, it's so critically important to what we ultimately become. So you say, okay, well, if I'm ultimately going to become what I think about, then how should I go about trying to frame that to be productive? And so the things that come to mind are probably things that you've talked about. And I know that you've implemented in your own life, but it's, it, it's the, the basics are the basics for a reason. Um, they're not complicated. They're harder to implement over time and be disciplined about, but they are the basics. So morning routine uh, is really, really important, whether that's whether that's, you know, Jocko 4 a.m. or it's, you know, hey, I'm I'm getting up at 830 and I'm going to just try to get up at 8 a.m. 30 minutes earlier to start a routine. Um, morning routine is really important. And then you layer into that. What do you do with your morning routine? Well, that varies for different people. I've been very disciplined um, and at times and at other times I've lacked, but at least I know what my standard is. Mm. I know what my best and, and, and high standard is. And now when I creep back from that, at least in my own head, I can, I can have a conversation and then it becomes on me whether or not I'm going to hold myself accountable. Mm -hmm. um, but the first part is just getting a, getting a baseline morning routine in place. Then the second piece of that would be reading, right? We have to read. We have to listen to podcasts or read. We have to put good nutrition into our minds. Um, that's really important. And, and that oftentimes comes in the form of a quiet time, right? Where it is you in silence and solitude to read or think or pray or do whatever you do. Um, and then, and, and one of the things that I think, if I had known about the practice of mindfulness or meditation, or had, if I had been smart enough to listen to it years and years ago, as opposed to more recently, 10 to 15 minutes of quiet meditation, whether that's praying, whether that's truly focusing on meditation or breathing or the practice of just being mindful. It's almost like, you know, when you watch something, have you ever listened? Like I've tried to the cheat code on listening to a video and you try to do it like <laughs> 1.2% to try to get through it just a little uh, bit faster. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah, talking about? Absolutely. It's like, I'm going to listen to this podcast, but it's long. It's, this book is long and I'm going to listen to it at 1.2% if it gives me the option, because it's going to save me an hour <laughs> over time. 
I have found that consistent um, morning routine, quiet time reading, combined with a, a, a 10 to 15 minute meditative practice, whether that's on a Headspace app or something like that, just something to give you the framework. It almost, it's like, it's like the game goes from one to 1.2 X to like 0.9. It like mm. slows down slightly. And the power in that is we're railing up against experiences every single day or things that occur to us. And there's a moment, there's a moment in time where you experience something and then you react, right? And what I have found is that that mindfulness or that practice over time, it widens that gap just slightly. And I think that's the phenomenon of making it seem like the game slows down a little bit mm -hmm. because when you experience something, you have this brief interlude in your mind where you realize, okay, that's what just happened. Now I have a choice about how I respond. And that is a very powerful gap to start to widen. And the more you can do that, I think it brings about a, a huge um, power that's inside all of us to be able to control how we respond to things that happen to us. That's really wise. And it, it makes me think of a muscle that is mm -hmm. in, in our society. It's so hard to develop that muscle of just yeah. just being just being still with yourself whether you're like you said whether you're praying or you're doing some mindfulness some meditation but just just being able to be alone with your thoughts mm. is a muscle that and so you know for those listening you know, i've i've done more and more of this and the more and more i do the more healthier i feel and especially in our in our world it it takes a little bit of detoxing so if you if you try it and it in five minutes seems like a lot, that's okay. Start where you're at, not where you think you should be. And over time, you begin to really cultivate a muscle and a strength that is so important for leaders. And I, Doug, I, I am so grateful for you sharing your wisdom with us today. I think it is uh, the level of depth that you brought us today was really, really powerful. And I think for the listeners, I hope that you appreciate as much as I do um, the wisdom that we received today. Doug, is there anything else you want to share? We've got like a minute left and I appreciate so much your time. Is there anything, any parting, anything? I know we didn't get to half of my questions today, uh, but man, this has been great. Is there anything you want to share on our way out? I'll give you the last word. No, I thank you so much for having me. And I would just it keep encouraging the the leaders that are listening in to to continue to invest um, their time in, in developing and in strengthening their muscles. Um, you know, I, I think as a as a final thought, you know, I think there's there's so many values and there's so many things that we hear about as leaders and that we're encouraged to to meditate on and think about. I would just encourage leaders out there to to remember um, that. There's, there's no virtue in being a bunny, right? Like, and what I mean by that is um, a bunny has no influence, right? Um, you know, a, a, a lion has influence and a lion is able to um, use its skills and its competencies to influence, um, but it, it knows when to do it and when not to do it. And it's, it's, I 
think that that's an important concept because one of the things that I think is often associated with, with leadership and this kind of the spirit of a lion is the idea of courage. And I feel like personal courage is a leadership currency that is maybe not more needed than ever, but boy, it is needed right now. And we need leaders um, who are listening to this podcast. We need leaders in the military. We need leaders in um, politics. We need leaders in uh, government. We need leaders in our societies of all shapes and sizes in business to anchor themselves back to the personal courage that it takes to lead themselves, to lead their organizations, um, to hold people accountable, to be held accountable. Um, that, my friend, if 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 we if we get just an ounce of, of personal courage um, through this conversation, which it's always encouraging to me, it's encouraging to me to have these conversations because it anchors me back to certain principles and things. Uh, if we get an ounce of that out uh, into into your your listener community, I think we've we've more than accomplished it today. So again, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to see who the hundred uh, episode guest is going to be. Congrats <laughs> to you, man. Keep it rolling. And um, I hope uh, I hope we can do it again soon. Well, it's been so fun, Doug. And I'll put links to uh, to Cushman and Wakefield, to this uh, veterans. What's the name of the veterans organization that's uh, part Cushman of Cushman and Wakefield Military and Veteran Programs. If okay. anyone has uh, any questions on that, uh, my email is doug.jones at cushwake.com. Um, and if anybody would like to reach out or get in touch, you know where to find me and I'm, I'd be happy to, to connect on LinkedIn um, or, or on, on email. So thanks again, Cal. I really appreciate it, buddy. Keep it up. Thanks, Doug. Well, I'll put links to all that and uh, excited to follow your journey, Doug, as you continue on and uh, we'll have to have you back on as you progress in your, in your leadership. So thanks again, man. Thank you. Hey friends, thanks so much for tuning in today. Thank you so much to Doug Jones for an incredible conversation. I really, really enjoyed hanging out with Doug and I appreciate his wisdom. A couple things that really stood out to me. One is just the land nav story and there's three key points that he took from that story. Trust your map and compass, not necessarily the path that has been worn before you. And that, that makes so much sense in life where we look ahead and we, we see a path and someone else went down that path, but it may not necessarily correspond with our principles. And Doug talked about how your map and your compass are your values and they stay true no matter what the path looks like. And so you, we need to check in regularly with those instruments that are true, our values and principles. He also pointed out his second point was that life is a self-correcting course. You may not know where you're at, but if you find a mentor or something to help you get back to where you are, that's key. Love that. And then third, it's not even about land nav. Remembering our why for what we're doing. We may be doing something now that is just a way of preparing us for something in the future. Land nav is not about land nav at all. It's about preparing, in, in this case, Doug for future service. I love this idea of having these many different mentors that allow you to really get better in certain areas. And, and Doug, interesting that Doug had adopted that at such a really young age at West Point in college for physical fitness, which led to him being at this incredible state of excellence physically, way beyond anyone at school, which was, I can't emphasize just how impressive that was. 
And then we got into comparison, contrasting, we talked about social media, weapons of mass distraction, comparing yourself as a community of people over time, and just being clear about some of the words we use like success and defining that, one of the definitions that Doug threw out there was the progressive realization of a worthy ideal, which really resonated with me. And then just the idea about being integrated at home and at work and incorporating some of those key habits at the end there for self-leadership. So really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, thanks again to, uh, to Doug for the great conversation. And uh, I wish you well as you head out and lead yourself and lead the folks in your sphere of influence. Remember, the life is short. Let's go make it count. <laughs>